back to episode two, Head of the Pack, Matt Schneidman and Bill Huber coming to you live from the press box at U.S. Bank Stadium in Minneapolis, where the Packers just wrapped up their season opener, a 43-34 win against the Vikings. There wasn't much defense played today, and luckily for the Packers, they still have Aaron Rodgers. And Bill, surprise, surprise, he's still a pretty good football thrower. Yeah, I think we talked about it last week where you talk about you know, do we buy the hype of, you know, he had talked about he'd seen some things on film, he was more grounded personally. Did we believe that would translate onto the field? And we both agreed that it would, and he was phenomenal. They, they got him going with a bunch of quick-hitting stuff, and before you know he's throwing downfield of this guy and that guy, and it looked like vintage Aaron Rodgers today. Yeah, I mean, what was interesting was the Packers obviously didn't start off great on offense. They had three trips to the red zone that resulted in only six points. They were up 8-7, and two of those points came from Jair Alexander's sack safety. And then with 47 seconds left in the first half, Rodgers hits Devontae Adams for a 24-yard touchdown. And then after Jair's interception, his second big play uh, late in the first half, he finds Marquez Valdez-Scantling dead the sideline for a 45-yard touchdown. And from there, they could kind of just do whatever they wanted. And I want to ask you, Bill, from the receiver side, you've covered, I believe, or at least been covering the team for every game that Devontae Adams has been a Packer. Where does this game rank in terms of here is a guy who's just asserting his will on young cornerbacks to do whatever he wants, and his 14 receptions tied Don Hudson for the most in a single game in franchise history. Don Hudson, who you guys know the practice facility across the street is named after, had 14 against the Giants in 1942, and it took, let's see if I can still do math in my head, Come on, 78 (laughs) years for for that to be matched. And, you know, what'd you think of how dominant Adams was today? It was a clinic. You know, I go back to week two at Green Bay against the Vikings last year, and he's going to bring it Xavier Rhodes, and the Packers needed a first down. I think it was third and like six or seven, and he beat Rhodes on a slant for the first down. And I can still remember vividly Rhodes just pounding his fist into the Lambeau field turf in frustration that he'd just been beaten the game was over. And then you go back to the game here last year. He caught 13 in that game. But this was like an all-time um, expletive kicking kind of game where, I mean, he, he ran outs to get open. He ran crossing routes to get open. He was going deep to get open. Um, the Vikings had no idea. And, you know, Mike Zimmer is this vaunted defensive backs coach. It was like, it was like me covering him, to, to exaggerate. It was, <laughs> it, was a, it was a total trouncing. And you figure if they wanted, he could have had 20 catches today. It was just he got open whenever he wanted, however he wanted it. It was a wide receiver running clinic. Yeah, it's pretty ridiculous. I'm looking back at Devontae Adams' last six games with the Packers against the Bears in week 15 last season, seven catches for 103 yards and a touchdown. Against the Vikings here in week 16, 13 catches for 116 yards, no touchdowns. Against the Lions in Week 17, seven catches for 93 yards and a touchdown. And then we all remember what he did against the Seahawks in the playoffs last year, eight for 160 and two. And then against the 49ers, nine for 138. And then today, 14 for 156 and two. I I don't know what it'll take for this guy to be mentioned among the top three, four wide receivers in football. But Matt LaFleur said it today. He thinks Rodgers and Devontae Adams, stating the obvious, are one of the best duos in football, and they showed it today. And granted, it was against a couple of young corners, but this is a Vikings defense who has Yannick Ngakwe up front. 
uh, has Harrison Smith and Anthony Harris on the back end. But Rodgers really had a lot of time to find Adams, and, and I'll use that to transition in what I want to talk about next, the offensive line today. You know, Rodgers will be honest with us when, when telling us how much time he thinks he had in the pocket. And today, you know, save for a couple plays where he had to scramble, and two of those plays were the touchdown to Adams uh, and the touchdown to Lazard in the fourth quarter, Rodgers pretty much had all day in the pocket. And you think about what happened with the offensive line. They move Elton Jenkins, the all-rookie left guard last year, to right tackle. They move Lucas Patrick, their backup center, to left guard. Then Lucas Patrick and Lane Taylor both go down, and they need to put Elton Jenkins. I'm trying to remember everything that happened. Elton Jenkins back at left guard. Then they put Rick Wagner at right tackle. And then they put the rookie sixth-rounder, John Runyon Jr., in at right guard for Lane Taylor, and they still didn't allow a sack. How impressed were you with what the offensive line did today? It was fantastic. I mean, how many, I mean, how many times between me and you do we ask LaFleur about who's going to start at right tackle? He asked them six plays from Sunday, and, 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 and you know, look, look, we knew who was going to start. We had a pretty good idea about it. Um, the best offensive lines, as you know, Matt, are the offensive lines that don't go recognized, and they, they block their butts off. I think LaFleur did them a favor early with, A, he ran the ball, and he stuck with the run, and then the, the jet sweep stuff and all the all – the, Play actions. I think. I think all those things helped. But I mean, Rodgers had a month of Sundays to throw the ball. It was, it was a, a masterpiece by the offensive line. And you know, I, I, I I'm speaking from me personally. I questioned the line coming out of camp because Rick. You know, you figure Rick Wagner is going to win the job back on August first, and then he doesn't. You think, well, what, what are they doing? Can can he not play anymore? And we saw Billy Turner struggle. And I mean, I got to be honest. I didn't see John running play all that well in training camp either but when they needed to they were fantastic um were you surprised Matt I, I certainly was I, I was a little bit I mean granted the Vikings don't have Daniil Hunter and he's probably right. their best player on defense but and, and I understand that Yannick Ngakwe has only had a week with this team and you know even in the second half I saw our Vikings writer Chad Graff was noting how Ngakwe wasn't even on the field you know they, they're not even really fully integrating him into the offense yet but even so with the offensive line that the Packers had Elton Jenkins is a phenomenal player for him to just mm-hmm. see it we just think it's easy to go from left guard to right tackle back to left guard ho-hum it's not easy at all and for Elton Jenkins to be able to do that yeah he played a couple different positions at Mississippi State but you know we knew that he was going to start at right tackle we weren't allowed to tweet it because of of the rules against what we're allowed to report but it's amazing what he's able to do, kind of just switching back and forth. And then, like you said, Runyon and Wagner, I didn't really see much from them in camp. And there's no. a reason Wagner wasn't the next man up at right tackle while Billy Turner was inactive today with that knee injury. But he stepped in and, and did well. And like you said, maybe this is a flaw of mine when watching a game, but I'm not really keeping an eye on offensive linemen individually. And I think, like you said, the less you notice them, the better. And, and that was the case today. You know, one thing with Jenkins, I remember when they drafted him, I talked to his old line coach at Mississippi State, Marcus Johnson, and I asked him about Jenkins facing, oh gosh, um, Simmons, um, the, the big star defensive tackle at Mississippi State at the time. And he gave an answer, and then he said, you know, there were times I would put Elton Jenkins at right tackle, and then he would face Montez Sweat, who also was end up being a first-round pick in that draft too. But, you know, this freaky athletic guy, and, and the coach was saying that, yeah, that Jenkins was so quick off the ball and he would just beat him to the spot like he'd been doing it his entire career. And I mean, he was a lifelong guard, basically. 
But here he is blocking the first-round pick attack, first-round pick at practice from time to time, like he's a natural offensive tackle. So it, it, you're right; it's it's not easy going from guard to tackle. And it's not easy going from left side to right side. It really speaks to the guy's athleticism. Not easy at all, and that's a good point. I want to get into something that I think every Packers fan is going to sweat and stress over for the entire season. And that is what I'm now deeming as the Marquez Valdez-Scantling experience. Holy moly, if, if there was ever a game that illustrated what Packer fans have to go through on a weekly basis with that guy, it was today. He has the unbelievable catch on the 45-yard touchdown at the end of the first half with 14 seconds left. And then he has two inexcusable drops, one on third and six. He's running a crossing route. And I was probably the closest person to him on the play all the way up in the press box. And he just drops it. And then he gets wide open across the field, runs away from the Vikings all-pro safeties, and drops a would-be 61-yard touchdown. But then he comes back, beats his guy down the right sideline, makes a 40-yard catch to set up another Packers touchdown. And the thing about this guy is, you know, everyone talked him up so much in training camp from Rodgers to Adams to Jason Vrabel, the new wide receivers coach. And we were like, let's see what happens. And the highs are probably higher than last year's highs, but the lows are probably lower. And, and Devontae Adams said after the game, if they can find that consistency and if Valdez Scantling at least shows at the foundation of his growth that he can respond to those two horrific drops by coming back and beating his guy off the line, which he can do with ease. He's the fastest player on the team and then make that 40-yard catch and forget about the, the misery he had before, then that's the first step. What do you think about what he can give this team this year and how important finding that consistency will be to the Packers' success? Yeah, you know, that he can run past people all the time. I think defenses always have to be wary of him. So I think there's always going to be a spot in the league for him. I mean, until he's like 50 years old, obviously, and runs like I do. But, I mean, there's always, there's always room for a guy who can run, but... Man, oh, man, you know, it's, it's funny, man. I mean, how many times do we talk about confidence? I mean, tell the story, Matt. I mean, Rodgers said he doesn't have any confidence. Go ahead, Matt. Tell, tell, everybody, about, tell everybody the confidence story. So here's the confidence story. <laughs> so last year, Marquez Valdez-Scanling, the occasional deep threat in the first half of the season, goes for 2-133 and a touchdown, I believe it was, against the Raiders in Week 7. Then after that, he vanishes. I've written this stat so many times that I think I have it memorized. He had five catches for 38 yards and no touchdowns in the final 11 games of the season. In the NFC Championship game, he saw one offensive snap. This is the guy who's supposed to be your number two wide receiver. So this offseason, we ask Matt LaFleur, what's up with MVS? He needs more confidence. We ask Aaron Rodgers, he needs more confidence. Devontae Adams, he needs more confidence. Jason Vrabel, he needs more confidence. Nathaniel Hackett, he needs more confidence. So Marquez, uh, everyone and their mother has said you need more confidence. Do you think you lost it a little bit, but you're now getting it back? No, I never lost my confidence. I've always had it. And then he posts something on Instagram today, like the comeback starts now. Like, okay, I understand like being, you know, not facetious, but keeping a straight face with media. But let's be honest, this guy lost some of his confidence and, you know, plays like the drops today will make him lose it even more. But the catches he made today will surpass that in, in what he's gained in confidence. And I think you know, Rodgers said today, I'm only going to throw the ball to people I trust. And he trusts Marquez Valdez-Scantling to go back to him down the sideline in a big moment after those two drops. That shows that Rodgers trusts him. And that's honestly the best thing Valdez-Scantling has going for him right now. It is. You know, and, and the team needs him. I mean, this isn't 
if this isn't, I don't think this is hyperbole. If this team has any chance to win a Super Bowl or go to a championship game, he has to be big. I mean, he has to deliver consistency. I, I don't see how these guys can go win 13 games or get back to a championship game if he's just a one-snap-a-game kind of guy in the playoffs. He has to be a huge factor because they don't have anybody else that that scares you. As they, I mean, obviously Adams does, but as a game-breaking, down-the-field guy, he's, he's plan A, B, and C, and if he can't be that guy... Man, it just seems impossible to overcome that. Right. Uh, I think any Super Bowl-worthy team in this league needs at least three capable wide receivers. And I would say right now the only two that I would trust are Devontae Adams and Alan Lazard. I mean, you can't trust MVS yet when he's doing stuff like he did today, even with the good he did today. And and we saw, we've seen how highly Rodgers speaks of Lazard. So the Packers obviously don't have a dynamic receiving tight end yet I think Josiah DeGuara might be the tight end he used most if if today is any indication Robert Tanyan didn't have any targets I don't believe and Jay Sternberger you know he's just vanished off the face of the earth uh, at at least at this point so MVS is going to be really important this year just to close out I want to get to the defense because this is the defense last year that in Chicago in the season opener came out and said we're going to be something this year and I remember Rodgers said to Michelle Tafoya on the field after the game, we've got a defense. Well, today they didn't really have a defense. I, I want to see how you interpret this because they were really good uh, up until about 14 seconds left in the first half when uh, you know, Jair Alexander has the sack, sack safety, then he has the pick. Chris, ba- Chris Barnes has a couple tackles. Zedarius has the sack. But then they allow a couple big gains and a penalty – field goal at the end of the half, and then they just take their foot off the break. And Matt LaFleur even admitted that. And the thing with Matt LaFleur is, and I'll send this to you, Bill, is Matt LaFleur always says, I need to look at the tape. I need to look at the tape. Can't make a judgment yet. But even though he did say that, he said, yeah, it did look like we took our foot off the gas. And prevent defense, cover three, whatever you want to call it, I don't care how big of a lead you have in a game. You can't just let the other team march down the field on you like the Packers let the Vikings do uh, with the lead they had in the second half. Yeah, part of me says, though, that it probably wasn't Patton. I, 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 think, I, mean, I think the defense came on the field with three score leads on each of those last three possessions. Part of me just wonders if they were you know, basking in, the, in the, a, pre, a pre-victory uh, Gatorade shower or something, and they just said, game's over, we got it. Um, you better hope so if you're a Packer fan, right? Because if this is your defense, <laughs> they're screwed. But I, I, I do think they took their foot off the gas. I don't even think it's a patent thing. I just think the players probably relaxed a little bit. You know, maybe Kenny, I mean, Kenny Clark's absence didn't help anything. But um, I, 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 don't, I can't imagine that at that pass defense is that bad. So I will, I will vote in favor of them um, getting a little high on the hog. What do you think? I, I tend to agree with you. Um, but then again... It's hard for me to say, oh, this was just a fluke when their pass defense was just like that last year at times. Um, I think Jair looked a little bit like his old self today. And by old self, I mean a guy who's going to give up a couple big plays here and there, but a guy that's also a 23-year-old cornerback who looks like he's one of the best in the league. I mean, it didn't matter in the grand scheme of things, but he was the culprit on that one of those late Thielen touchdowns. You know, Darnell Savage gave up another touchdown to Adam Thielen. And this secondary is extremely young from 
Adrian Amos is only 27 years old, then Kevin King, Jair, Savage, and Shannon Sullivan, they're going to have their bumps in the road, but it's how many positive plays can they make to outweigh that? I do think the Kenny Clark injury was probably the biggest thing in terms of not generating a lot of pressure from the interior and allowing Dalvin Cook and even Kirk Cousins to look like Lamar Jackson up there. And, and, and that's what I want to quote. Kirk Cousins, that was amazing. Those, I mean, those are like the slowest 10-yard runs in the history the, of mankind. The slowest runs ever. And the thing I want to close out with is talking about these injuries. You know, I don't, I don't, you've been covering the team way longer than I have. I don't know the last time they had this many kind of significant injuries in a season opener, but you got your, your Pro Bowl nose tackle, who you just made the highest paid at his position in NFL history, leave with a groin injury and miss, if I'm not mistaken, pretty much the entire second half. You have Lane Taylor, your right guard, who fought back from a, a torn bicep uh, in week three of practice last season and he gets carted off. You have Lucas Patrick, your versatile backup lineman, who you gave a two-year extension in week 17 last year, and he doesn't return for the game after leaving with a shoulder injury. Granted, they can probably compensate long-term on the O-line, but you can't on the defensive line. Kenny Carker is all this defensive line has, and it would be atrocious if he has to miss any extended period of time. So, So just finally, what are your thoughts on those three injuries and what they could mean for the Packers going forward? Yeah, you nailed it. It's, it's not like there's any depth. Who are you, you going to put in the line? I mean, Montrevious Adams is your number five guy. He was inactive because of the toe. But, I mean, what's Montrevious Adams ever done to show you that he's ready to play? I mean, I don't, they don't have to spread out the load to, to make you think he's going to play 20 plays of impact football. Uh, nothing, really. Offensive line-wise, you can get by with one injury. Um, I mean, you know, maybe, maybe Lucas Patrick isn't bad. I, you kind of fear for the worst for Taylor, but that's just – your guesswork, and maybe Runyon's ready to be that guy, but man, they—they—they they, they, it was those are position groups, so they didn't have a lot of depth to begin with, and they're going to get tested here right away against against Detroit, as Mike McCarthy used to call them. But <laughs> um, God, you hate to start talking to Jared Valdiers and Damon Harrison's the world, but if those are legit injuries, you might have to start calling around here on Monday. You might, and Billy Turner, you'd assume he doesn't miss too much more time, so. You know, for as poorly as he played at times last season, that would probably be helpful to get him back. But yeah, like Bill said, Packers host Detroit next week before embarking on a stretch that goes at Saints, home against the Falcons, bye week, at Buccaneers, at Houston, against Indianapolis. So starting off 2-0 would not hurt. The The Bears beat the Lions today, so the Packers will get an 0-1 Detroit team that should have won that game. You know, their rookie running back, DeAndre Swift, dropped a, a would-be go-ahead touchdown that fell right in his hands in the final 10 seconds. So, like I said, I think I said this on, on the last podcast, my favorite stat, and Matt LaFleur said it multiple times on the Zoom call after the game today, the Packers did not lead for one second against the Lions last year and still went 2-0. I will recite that stat until I die, and they still went 2-0. So we'll see if their fortunes stay the same against the Lions. You know, good stuff, Bill. Always appreciate you. You're about 20 yards away from me in the press box right now. So for Bill, I'm Matt Schneidman. We will catch you this time next week on Head of the Pack. And don't forget, subscribe to The Athletic, $1 for a full month. It's a pretty good deal if you, if I do say so myself. You but can I pre- say so. I can say so. Maybe you can't. but <laughs> <laughs> I just did, though. <laughs> there you go. So we appreciate you guys listening. As always, feel free to fire away with questions. We'll get to them from here on out every week after the game. And uh, have a great rest of your week.